Hello, welcome to the Squiggly Animation Podcast. In this episode, we welcome Guillermo del Toro and Mark Gustafsson, the directors of Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. go ho ho hello on the uh, on the winter one which is ridiculous so yeah <laughs> <laughs> ho ho hello welcome to the squiggly animation podcast uh, i'm steve henderson uh, no ben this episode just yet he's on a bit of a christmasy mission to deliver it was uh, a heck of a guest lineup uh, so we'll hear from him later but helping me chinwag our way through the hot topics of animation this winter season is ryan gore hello ryan hello how you doing i'm not too bad ryan how are you I'm doing wonderfully. Fantastic. So uh, you've been writing for Squiggly. Um, 2022 has been a big year for you on Squiggly. You've been uh, uh, knocking out some fantastic articles for us. Uh, but this is really the first time people have heard you on this podcast. You've done a few animation uh, one-to-ones for us. Uh, how's your animation journey been this year? Oh, this year has been amazing. Uh, this year has been great because it's the first year I've been like very intentional with really learning about animation on a granular level um i think before it was more of a passing fandom and now i will die for every animator on the planet (laughs) (laughs) so yeah it's been a year of just like analyzing things more closely understanding animation techniques better and being able to appreciate even movies that have watched a million times in a new way so yeah it's been amazing this year oh fantastic i'm sure many animators will take you up on that kind of offer to die on their behalf they'll be yeah <laughs> sure <laughs> yeah yeah just just ryan we need we need you on this secret mission yeah um <laughs> oh fantastic so uh, obviously uh you know big big year for animation and i can see ryan uh, listeners won't be able to see this in the background it's it's basically a nintendo shop uh what you've got <laughs> in your in your background there it's fair to say yeah. you're a big nintendo fan a little bit a little mm-hmm. bit <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, uh, what were your thoughts on the Super Mario Brothers trailer when that came up the uh, the other week? Yeah, I absolutely loved it. I think every Mario fan just had like a cautious approach. This this movie of caution, just because Illumination, their reputation isn't pristine. Uh, Nintendo are a very strange company when it comes to how Mario is used and who they let use Mario and how it's represented. Um, Mario. Games aren't classically big story games, so it was uh, a lot of trepidation coming in, but I've just been blown away at how delightful this thing looks. From a visual standpoint, it looks so... like I don't think Illumination have done anything so detailed, so detail-orientated. It seems like... Yeah, even though I've been looking up like development cycles for these films, it's quite similar, about five years for every Illumination film. But somehow they just packed in that bit more care, that bit more love, and it's so apparent it comes through even on the trailers and the clips, everything. It's it's very strong, yeah. Do you think it will be as good, or could ever be as good, as the uh, Bob Hoskins version? I really want Pratt to play up the the New York, you know. I yeah. want to hear the proper gruff Brooklyn Mario. I think that would be so perfect for this film. Um, but I think it has a chance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it, it's been the major kind of you know the the major difficulty with the fandom really has been listening to Chris Pratt and listening out for Chris Pratt, hasn't it? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. we've we've been we were really kind of upset that Chris Pratt got this role because he just seems to get every 
damn role. He's the Scarlett Johansson of, <laughs> of <laughs> voiceovers and any any kind of film role. Uh, and when he's good, he's good. But I mean, people heard his in the original trailer uh, released earlier this year. People heard it. And we're comparing it to like the the French version and the Japanese version, mm-hmm. and the way that those voiceover artists have really piled into it and they've really played up the kind of the the, the hyperactive element of Mario's kind of personality of his voice, haven't they? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a very much a Hollywood thing. That prize involves obviously he is the Hollywood guy right now, but on another standpoint, I think Hollywood refuses to acknowledge how big gaming is now because yeah. <laughs> they're essentially like level pegging right they're on the same level in terms of popularity and therefore i don't think there would be a problem with having a very silly very over the top mario voice because everyone is used to that voice but for some reason hollywood they have to kind of separate themselves and say oh no for a movie audience we have to do it this way otherwise audiences won't accept it but as you've seen, like like you said, the other voiceovers from Europe and from Japan, they are so goofy and so over the top and so Charles Martinet that we all love it and it's got a lot of love. And I think it's it it's difficult to say it hasn't been a misstep, but I'm warming to it. I don't think I'll ever fully warm to it, but it's getting there. It's, it's going to be. You can tell that when it comes out, there's going to be loads of people doing like overdubs and things like that. You're not. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to get away from from that. And it and it seems such a shame when you've got like Jack Black really going for it with Bowser. He's like perfect yeah. casting. You've got Charlie Day Brilliant. as Luigi. Uh, again, you know, a really really good piece of casting. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you've got Chris Pratt. And one of the uh, tweets I read on it, somebody said, I don't know how to describe this, but it sounds like he recorded the movie Sat Down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, it's kind of, kind of fair, really, to, a, to an extent. But then they released, the, uh, they released a clip of, uh, of Mario's kind of introduction to the Mushroom Kingdom. And it's a two or three, it's a couple of minutes clip, isn't it? And it's yeah. uh, of, uh, of Toad kind of showing... Mario around uh, and and taking him up to to the castle, and there's a little bit where where you kind of get Chris Pratt, but he's he doesn't say much. He spends most of the time Mario spends most of the time kind of gawping at all the Easter eggs and references that that are going on around him, uh, and being dragged around the pipes and and you know obviously mm-hmm. it's you know his first or second time going you know using the pipes as a mode of transport. Uh, and there's a little bit where he runs across the blocks, and you can hear a little twang that he's uh, Chris Pratt has tried to put into the voice, haven't you? What were you, what was your thoughts yeah. on that one? Yeah, yeah, the Game Awards clip. It's as you said, like Keegan Michael Key as Toad going for it. Everyone else is at kind of a hundred percent, apart from maybe Anna Taylor Joy. But at least she's doing like an American accent. Yeah, <laughs> Chris Pratt just seems to be like it's Chris Pratt, and every now and again he'll say a Brooklyn-y word. You know, it's <laughs> it, it's not. It doesn't cohere with everything else that's going on, especially in like that clip. That clip got my heart. <laughs> it really did. Yeah. Going through Toad Town, just all the tiny details. The fact that they're using coin blocks as their ATMs is just like <laughs> a move of genius. I think that's brilliant. Um, the music incorporating themes from the Mario games is something that like a, a guilty pleasure of mine this year was the Sonic movie, Sonic Movie 2. And a real big disappointment with it was the fact that it's very orchestral. And I don't think that really blends well with like a video game adaptation because 
we love the character and we love the music, so why not just kind of keep that spirit and brought it over? I didn't think that was possible, but uh, I think it's Brian Tyler, I believe, is doing the score. I might have got that wrong, but uh, he's incorporated Mario themes so well. Um, but yeah, again, visually, Jesus Christ, how much detail is packed into that Toe Town scene? Yeah, the antique the- shop. The antique shop, <laughs> and you hear someone say, like you hear someone um, bring an NES cartridge to the shop and say, "Oh, I don't think this is working." And someone says, "Oh, you just need to blow into it, and you'll yeah. be fine." <laughs> so many cool little details like that. It's it's brilliant, so inspired, which just makes Chris Pratt stand out that much more. It's such, <laughs> it's such a strange experience. Yeah, I mean, it, it, imagine as well, like you know, they've got over forty years of law to play with as well illumination mm. uh, the writers and, and 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 the designers and over 40 years of of fun really and to, and to kind of explain this this world that has appeared organically and i think mm-hmm. one of the one of the issues with doing the kind of mario movie in, in live action was the fact that they they took fungus literally <laughs> So like, the mushrooms were were an actual horrific, awful fungus, and the dinosaurs were 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 horrible dinosaurs. You know, Yoshi mm-hmm. being being a kind of you know velociraptor of sorts, and the the yeah. Goombas being massive gangsters, and 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 the jump boots having to be explained. And mm-hmm. yeah, films have evolved a lot since then, um, and and the Mario games have evolved a lot since then. Obviously, since. Mm-hmm. Uh, the early nineties, or when when the film was when when the film was released, what was your first Mario game growing up? You're a big Nintendo fan. What was your what was the first game you played growing up? I'm pretty sure it was Mario sixty four DS. Oh no, so I Mario Kart Super Circuit on the um, Game Boy Advance because the Game Boy Advance is like my first Nintendo console. Um, so yeah, definitely a Mario Kart because it's Mario Kart. Yeah. And yeah, then the DS was my next. Like I only had Nintendo handhelds until the Switch came out. So it was a lot of, of the Mario handheld games, playing Galaxy on my friend, on my cousin's Wii and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, Mario has been in my life just like as long as I can remember, really. That's really depressing. Um, I think yeah. mine was Super Mario <laughs> Brothers way back in the 1980s or something. So, like, just to just to sort of show the age difference here, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> But there's been so many, so many games, so many kind of you know hits and misses. Even with Mario, you know, um, I'm, I'm not sure how many titles he's appeared in. It must be in the hundreds. It must be. Yeah. I think even more than that because they used to throw him on anything. There's like Mario Paint games. There's like barcode scanner games with Mario involved and all these kind of things. There's like those old Satellaview games where you could only play the Mario game for half an hour connected to a satellite connection that are just lost in time and no one knows how good they are <laughs> so yeah it's it's Ma- nintendo would give mario to absolutely anything and i think that mario movie is what scarred them the original 90s one they it's yeah. got nintendo for life because i think since the 90s 2000s hits and mario isn't everywhere anymore it's very concentrated it's very specific if you look at like the games that come out after the GameCube era, it's a bit more sanitized. You can mm. you can really tell. I think that that's the kind of Mario as a as a mascot. I I, I heard once that the that Nintendo they're very happy with him. He's a very iconic character, but he's 
it's very difficult. They they want to make him cute so he appeals to the worldwide audience. But he's a man with a mustache. He's a man who you know you imagine is in his forties, <laughs> and he's a gruff. He's Bob Hoskins basically. And if you try and make mm-hmm. Bob Hoskins look as cute as Astro Boy, uh, you're not really gonna you're not really gonna get there. <laughs> um, it, and and but yeah, they've they've tried to kind of make him as 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 cute as possible, as kind of merchable as possible obviously um yeah looking through these this big old list of of mario games and i do remember like dr mario and things like that coming up i had no <laughs> idea like his his second ever appearance as as a kind of title character was a game called mario cement factory <laughs> imagine the pitch for that going you know what kids love they love video games and they love cement <laughs> Let's let's make a Mario, and he he runs a cement factory. Uh, yeah, it, it's, <laughs> he's he's been in everything, but yeah, this this trailer really exciting stuff, and 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 kind of really pours you back into that kind of nostalgic realm. I, I am looking forward to this. I am placing a lot of trust in Illumination for this, and it looks like they've really pulled it off. And you know, who's to say how good a job Chris Pratt? does on the film we'll find out but with the rest of the characters and the rest of the uh with everything else uh having mario as the kind of everyman the kind of mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, the, the muppet show for example kermit the frog is not the best muppet but he's the main right. muppet uh the mickey mouse lineup mickey mouse is crap but goofy's hilarious and, and, <laughs> and donald's hilarious yeah. you know the main character of most things is is generally a uh, a kind of a a weak everyman that that you know people can just kind of do everything. So maybe he's yeah, he's just basic he's, for that he, reason. He's a viewport. He's a viewport into the world. Is is the way that people see it. And I think I'd re- I'm so curious to see in the full movie is he as wordless as he is in the trailers? Because mm. I wouldn't be surprised if he isn't speaking in long monologues in this movie, and that it's just kind of the world happening around him and that the big characters like your Toads and your Luigi's and your Bowser's are the ones that are going to um, have hold the gravity in the scenes and Mario is just kind of the way you see the world. Um, yeah, uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting dynamic because it's not like Mario has a long history of, in the games of being a you know a wordsmith yeah <laughs> you get the odd here we go uh, you know it's like that's the most you're gonna get from those three words <laughs> yeah yeah and uh if it's chris pat don't it be like here we go yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> just uh listening there scrolling on monzo waiting for the money to come in and going what do i do now woohoo <laughs> woohoo there you go i did like his wahoo <laughs> I was a fan of his little wahoo on the um on Rainbow Road. Yeah. Oh, that that got me. <laughs> he seemed like he he was half off his seat for that, you know. He did a little a little a little bounce in his seat for the wahoo, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then he was sat straight back down. The money stopped coming in. That was it. <laughs> Uh, well, Miyamoto is off screen with a a gun to his head. You know, <laughs> you're gonna give us a good wahoo. <laughs> Uh, yeah, loads to look forward. So that's is that next April, next March uh, April, time. April, yeah. yeah, loads to look forward to that. Really, uh, really excited for that. But um, yeah, Illumination one for franchises. So I can imagine this isn't going to be the first and last. Well, I can imagine well, it being the first, but it's not going to be the last, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I really, it's an interesting thing going on, right? Because Nintendo recently acquired an animation studio and renamed it Nintendo Pictures. 
and they'd worked at this studio before on short mo- on short films based on the Pikmin franchise. Mm. And um, it makes me curious because Illumination's sensibilities, they suit Mario, but I don't think they suit, say, a Zelda if they were to adapt a Zelda. So, and Nintendo, uh, they completely own the rights to this film. They can do a Mario movie too without Illumination completely legally. So it'll be interesting to see if they decide, okay, thanks for showing us how to make an animated movie, Illumination. We've got our own studio now. Maybe we'll go ahead and do it all in-house because Nintendo did not like having other companies hold of their IP. So The thing is, well, with movies now, everyone's everyone's trying to make their own kind of Avengers, their, their own kind of, mm-hmm. you know, uh, multiverse or their own kind of expanded universe. You, 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 can you imagine as, as hearing... Or, or, or seeing of the the you know something from the Zelda franchise appearing in uh, to in in this Mario movie uh, as if we're heading yeah, towards a Smash Super Smash or uh, <laughs> you know uh, team up. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't seem to cohere, right? Yeah. It might be an odd reference, like a little Triforce on the little antique shop you can buy, but. The idea of like Hyrule being introduced to this universe doesn't quite make sense. And I would love to Nintendo to just keep that separate, please. If you're going to do a Zelda, obviously Princess Mononoke exists. That is the Zelda movie. But if you want to do it again, please keep it completely separate from this. I'd appreciate that. There we go. Uh, there's, there's the, the thoughts of uh, Nintendo purist Ryan Gore there. <laughs> so, yeah. Fantastic. Well, I mean, uh, Speaking of films that that kind of bring universes together, we've obviously got the Spider Verse trailer as well, haven't we? We've had uh, we've had that pop through, which wow, I think is probably the best way of of of, of putting it together. Uh, a, a Chris Pratt, woohoo! Uh, I think uh, for uh, for this particular trailer. What were your thoughts on Spider Verse when it when it uh, landed a couple of days ago? I was interested to see that half the trailer is clips from the last movie, mm. and. I get the sense that they're being very cagey with uh, what's going to happen in this film. I get the sense that this trailer is no more than like half an hour, 35 minutes into the film. I really doubt if they're showing anything from later stages. But even still, with what we saw, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, I can't even begin to fathom what the plot of this film is. I haven't read Spider-Verse comics, so maybe people who have read the comics are just like, oh yeah, they're doing this. But you just see a bunch of Spider-Men trying to murder Miles, and it's <laughs> very strange from the last movie where you had six Spider-Men all friends of Miles, and we had that line from Gwen, we're supposed to be the good guys. You see Spider-Man 2099, Oscar Isaac's Spider-Man 2099, just looking absolutely deranged and... In, its movie just seems so much more intense than the last movie. Yeah. And I'm thinking back, I went to a Q&A of Lord and Miller a year ago. They were doing it for Mitchells, but they're asked about Spider-Verse. And they talked about how they felt pressure to innovate again on this movie, the way they did on the last one. And I, I'm very curious about how that manifests. Because even with the familiar aesthetics of Spider-Verse, there is a different feeling to this trailer. As I said, it feels a lot more intense, feels a lot more like they turned the notch up from 100% to 200% in that in that sense. And we have a completely different directing team as well. Mm. Th- all three directors who are on Spider-Verse 1 are not on Spider-Verse 2. We have, uh, I know Peter Ramsey isn't involved anymore, 
where we have Kent Powers come in from um, Soul. He did Soul, and what was the other live action movie he did? Um, Last Night in Miami, I believe it was called. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, very talented director. And I think already we're seeing a bit more of a directorial change in the trailer. There's a shot where, like, Miles is falling and a bunch of spider people just kind of come at him from all angles. And we get this kind of sharp zoom in to to the action. And we get this kind of, like, 2D-ish scene where we're following the chase on a horizontal plane. Already, like, the camera work and camera angles feel a bit different to what we got in Spider-Verse 1. Maybe I'm looking into it a bit too much. (laughs) But I don't think we got that kind of dynamic camera movement in the first Spider-Verse. So, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm interested to see how that changes too. They're being very cagey. That's what I thought about the trailer. I thought they were very wow. You know, there there are people who have pressed pause and and really gone for... So, I remember when the first uh, trailer came out, and people were going, oh my God, it's a 3D film, but they've managed to get Ben Day dots in it. Or they've managed to, you know, to, yeah. to paint over it. And, and people were really excited about this thing. You know, four years ago, whenever it was, um, they're really excited. And this one now they're looking at, you know, they've got like the, the, the bleed and the gutter and things like that on the, on screen. Yeah. They've, they've managed to get the kind of the smudges and the pencil marks and everything. I did an interview with the directors, uh, Joachim Dos Santos, uh, Justin K. Thompson and Kemp Powers at Annecy earlier on in the year. And I've just popped that up on the website with the trailer. Um, So if people want to find out a little bit more about what was shown at Annecy, because I think that this trailer is, it's as teasery as it can get. The stuff that we saw at Annecy was absolutely mind blowing. And like you say, we're made to feel as if um, uh, Spider-Man 2099, this kind of high tech futuristic Spider-Man voice by Oscar Isaacs is after Miles Morales, but obviously we, we've seen, we've been privileged to, enough to see clips at Annecy, which kind of counter that. Now, there may well be a moment mm. where um, uh, 2099 goes into a uh, a frenzy or something like that. There might be an altercation. Obviously, that's a, the magic of, of storytelling. Um, but uh, yeah, really excited. They actually called, um, they refer to it on production, Oscar, Oscar Isaac Spider-Man, the 2099, as property damage Spider-Man. That's how they, that's how they mm. to refer to the character. So imagine a lot of kind of fights and a lot of um, uh, of action. The clip we saw was uh, based in Gwen's universe. Oh right, and it was it was beautiful. It was it was absolutely uh, wonderful. So her universe is kind of painted in a in a kind of watercolor dry brush. Uh, lens, it is, and and the color seeps and blends and and swirls, but it also changes with emotion as well. And the clip that we saw was based on. Uh, I don't think there's going to be too much of a of, of spoilers here, but she's in her apartment with her dad, and mm. there's and obviously then she hears you know the classic sort of hoop superhero thing. She hears that there's a breaking at the Guggenheim, and it's the vulture. That's broken into the the this, this this art gallery, um, and so she dons the 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 outfit and and swings into action. You end up at the museum, and there's this police cordon, and her dad, Captain Stacy, uh, is looking at a picture of their universe's vulture. You go into the Guggenheim, uh, obviously. Uh, uh, Gwen kind of uh, incapacitates her dad and, and the police officers so she can make her way in to the Guggenheim to, de- to defeat the vulture. 
and we find a very different vulture. We don't see the vulture that that fits the uh, the the universe that Gwen's in. We see this vulture that looks like it's been designed by Leonardo da Vinci. It's a steampunk vulture with a sepia tone, and it looks like Vitruvian Man, the Vitruvian Man, the uh, Leonardo da Vinci drawing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's abs, and it's. He he looks like he's made of of you know five hundred year old paper, and he's tearing through the museum and he's speaking with this thick Italian accent, which Chris Pratt could take a couple of notes from. But it's that, <laughs> it's that type of you know, and he's tearing up the museum and he's getting the better of Gwen, and just as he's getting the better of Gwen, a portal opens, and uh, Jessica Spider Girl, uh, oh, yes. heavily pregnant. Uh, uh, with a with a massive afro and on a motorbike comes bl- blazing into the scene, followed by uh, Miguel O'Hara, uh, Spider Man twenty ninety nine, and the sequence and the battle is absolutely incredible. And you might fe- feel that it's uneven with three Spider People versus versus uh, one bad guy, but it isn't. And it look and the stakes are so high. The adrenaline is incredible. And what we were seeing were flashing from, you know, completed animation to storyboards to animatic mm-hmm. to, to the whole thing. But it kept us going. And there's this moment where Gwen looks defeated and then you see her kind of start tapping her foot. And she likens her action. I'm tapping my foot as I'm going along with it and bouncing my hands up and down <laughs> to to playing the drums. And as she's doing it, she's swinging webs, she's spinning webs, and she uses it to to kind of uh, as part of her battle. It all goes haywire, and then you and then there's a confrontation from earlier on where Gwen has to face a choice. I don't want to spoil it too much, but it's absolutely incredible. None of that was in the trailer. And I'm so mm. glad it wasn't so because I got to spoil it for everyone there. But what I mean is <laughs> that I don't think the trailer gives us a lick of the film. I think it gives us, a, you know, a, you've seen nothing yet. I think that's fair to say. Um, there were some other clips that they showed, a fantastic one with Miles going into uh, the kind of principal's office. Um, uh, not the principal's office, it's a, um, a school counsellor. And I think there's more to the school counsellor than he's letting on. I think that they're a key to the multiverse. I, I, I can't. I, I really can't wait for this film. It looks absolutely spectacular. Yeah. I just wanted to say all that to make you jealous, Ryan. Yeah, I'm, I'm seething. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm absolutely seething with jealousy. That sounds incredible. <laughs> one thing, yeah, I'm so excited to spend time in different universes this time. Because obviously the first one is pretty much all set in the one main um, Miles' universe. But uh, yeah, being able to cross into different universes, see different art styles. Yeah, because I remember that there's a quote from Lord and Miller, so this film has like, a bajillion different art styles for every single universe they cross into. Um, even in the first teaser where they crossed into like the Mumbai, New York crossover thing they have, uh, looks incredible. Some of the, um, character models that have come out online look really cool. Um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just all here for them to just kind of push everything into overdrive and just see how much, yeah, how many different styles they can fit into one film. Cause I watched, um, Persepolis recently. Oh right, and I, th- I think that's a really good example of like 
on a small scale, tweaking your art style to show different things, show different emotions and different periods. Obviously, on a minor scale, that's done there. And I was watching that movie thinking, if Spider-Verse can kind of capture that kind of subtle change of art style, but do it cross universes and do it a bit more drastically, I think that might make for the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> um, yeah, peak fiction, as they say. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, no pressure on uh, on the the directors there then to make the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I mean, they're halfway point. there. <laughs> they are. They, yeah, definitely. Um, from what I've seen, yeah, very, very close. It, it will make the first movie look like um, like a trailer, like like they mm. were scratching the surface. Um, one of the other things as well that they they teased was the actual villain, which has no place in this trailer whatsoever. And oh yeah, the, the spot, right? The spot, yeah, the spot. Yeah. Uh, and we go into in 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 the interview, which which you can read on uh, on squiggly dot com. Uh, the uh, the interview we we talk a little bit about the spot, um, how they saw this kind of lame character. So the idea for the spot is that he's basically full of portals, and what usually happens is Spider Man will go to punch him. And then Spider-Man's fist will go through a portal and Spider-Man will end up punching himself. That is all they've ever done in the comics. <laughs> That's like, they've never, <laughs> they've never really, you know, gone further than that. Um, the directors saw this and they thought about Portal, the game. Oh, the, right. And they thought, well, hang on, you could, you know, you could do lots of cool things with, uh, with portals. And so they've taken this character, which, is I think it's the Legion of Losers or something like that in in, in the old Spider-Man franchise. So he's like one of the crap characters, and they've turned him into this arch nemesis, this villain. But what they've also done is they've made this power that he has, this portal power. Toward as the film develops, he gets bigger and badder and badder and and becomes this kind of hulking beast monster, and just is such a formidable uh, you know, villain. Uh, by the by, the end of the film, but obviously motivated uh, in a similar way, or in a uh, by as Kingpin was motivated in the uh, mm-hmm. in the first film, you know, just motivated in a way which will. It's not just a case of having flashy graphics and 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 cool ideas. You've got to ground it in a story. You've got to ground it in reality. Yeah, we have very capable hands here. I think we're gonna. It's gonna make for a fantastic movie, and I think the directors are returning for. Beyond the Spider Verse, which is the the third sure. the third film as well, which is twenty twenty five, I think something like that. Uh, lots yeah. Of, yeah, whenever they want to give it to us, <laughs> yeah, <When they're> <laughs> they can take their time. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember when I was interviewing him; they were absolutely shattered. But that could have been the jet lag. But it also could have been making mm. a movie with uh, with six different universes and hundreds of characters. <laughs> Well, yeah, and yeah, that'll uh, do it. That'll do it. It will. It will. It, it certainly. It, it'll certainly uh, make you a little bit shattered. But uh, and having to speak to me as well, that's uh, blimey. That put anyone off. But uh, <laughs> the original film obviously won an Oscar, didn't it? And that kind of leads to. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it wouldn't be Christmas if I wasn't whinging about the Academy and uh, and the Oscars, really. But we got the long list, haven't we? The uh, the Academy mm. long list, which has been uh, released. And obviously, this is this is a, not a, a, a list of every film that's been submitted. Obviously, it's a film of the that the Academy believe to be uh, uh, of a decent standard to go through and be trimmed down to five nominees. Um, 
if you were making a five, Ryan, what would you take off of this list? Uh, any any kind of interesting ones? Oh, oh, interesting ones, definitely. I think like there's actually quite a small scope for them to go wrong here, which is quite a nice feeling. Yeah, they could. I trust them. They could make some horrible decisions, <laughs> but. If we follow some kind of logic, I think we could have a really strong category. My personal favorite is Turning Red, so I'd 100% take that. It's like one of the strongest Pixar movies for years, years and years and years. Possibly my favorite um, Pixar movie. Definitely yeah. my favorite Pixar protagonist. I think like Malin Lee is just an incredible protagonist. I was thinking about this. How many, like, we talk about blank slates as protagonists. That's the Pixar handbook, right? Isn't it? Like, just like the, the kind of average Joe who you kind of see the new world through. The characters aren't really, really bad people or like really specially eccentric people. You leave that to the side characters. Mm. Maiden Lee is a human being. She's like the first Pixar protagonist that feels like a actual 13 year old girl, an actual crazy, you know, hyper eccentric 13 year old girl. And I, I, I love her for that. And I can't believe they put that character at the center of a Pixar movie. She's incredible. How many other Pixar protagonists would draw their crushes as mermen? Yeah. <laughs> incredible. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I, I'm, I'm with you there. I mean, like I've, I've said about, about, um, turning red is it's, it's a, it's a story about a 13 year old, you know, uh, Chinese Canadian girl living in uh, in Toronto in the 1990s. I'm a 38 year old, you know, ma- uh, white man living in Manchester. And as soon as she raised her eyebrows in the trailer, I was on board, and I was like, "This is this is childhood. This is this is goofing around with mates. This is." This is having an, a conflict with parents. This is everything that's real about growing up. And the rest doesn't matter. It's something we can all attach ourselves to. And so, you know, it makes you laugh when you see the, the people online going, you know, oh, what they're doing, you know, we're doing a full film about this type of thing. And you're like, just get over it and just enjoy it because it's such a open yourself up to this, this ex, to re experience life and, and everything that's mm-hmm. so precious about films. And, yeah, fair play, Pixar. It's only taken them, you know, how long they've been going? Forty years or so to 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 allow a woman to helm a feature film. Um, yeah, Jesus Christ. And yeah, you're saying Jesus Christ a lot in this podcast. I know it's the Christmas podcast, but <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much for making it festive. Um, uh, it's <laughs> going three wise men uh, every now and then. <laughs> but yeah, th- exactly. It's it, it's. Um, it's taken them so long, and and thank goodness they have given the reins to somebody who's just been able to gift us with with such a great film. Yeah, don't mean she she's incredible. I can't wait for her next film, whatever she does next. I I can't wait for it. Yeah, going back to the list, <clears throat> Turning Red One, absolutely. Uh, Del Toro's Pinocchio, absolutely. Yeah, you, you said before, give uh, just give it to the um, stop motion movies, and I'm not I'm not against that. Yeah, I can make a whole stop motion category. I'm not against it, um, but I did quite enjoy the bad guys i can see them nominating it and it would be a worthy nomination because i did quite like that i haven't seen puss in boots yet have you seen puss in boots not yet no no i've not it looks a cut above the Mm -hmm. kind of shrek 
uh, stuff we've had in in uh, I say in recent years. There's not been a Shrek movie in, in in ages, but it looks a cut above everything else in that universe. It looks like they've applied a lot more um, uh, ingenuity to the kind of art style and graphics. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mad God, they'll nominate for sure because it's incredible. Think- but they won't. They won't let it win. It'll be like Flea. You think you think it'll be in the in the lineup? Yeah, you, really? Yeah. I'd love to see it. I mean, it'll be great. But um, the one that they put in because they know it's probably the best film there, <laughs> but they don't let it win because they're the Oscars. You know, they just throw a bone to the actual good <laughs> movies. Anyway, and then I'll say Marcel the Shell because I think the short got nominated in it, mm. and I think it has the A twenty four banner, all that, all those factors going into it. I think Marcel the Shell and. It's good. So, <laughs> yeah, I think that that'll be my five. So, where we got in in terms of the the stop motion ones? Because I sent you a I sent you a message saying just give it to the stop motion ones. It would be a great because there's five stop motions in this category. You've got um, Wendell and Wild. Uh, you have uh, Marcel. You have Mad Mad God. You have uh, Pinocchio. There's four. There's one more. Where are you? You're there somewhere, teasing me. Maybe it's not. Maybe <laughs> I'm. Uh, maybe I'm going mad. Maybe I have gone mad. Maybe this is all a dream. Yeah, four then. Okay, and then you can stick something <laughs> else. In. Strong though. Yeah, stick something else in for for good luck. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Wendell and Wild has a great chance. Henry Selick, Jordan Peele. I mean, the names are there, so that's the Oscars. Yeah, <laughs> they want them to come to the show. So. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, there's a few more here. I think of uh, of of note. I mean, what what usually happens is is I get dead excited about this these kind of categories, and I'm like, wow, fantastic! Wouldn't it be great if Mad God ended up getting nominated for an Oscar? And mm-hmm. then what they'll do is they'll stick Lightyear and Strange World in, which are okay mm-hmm. films, but not films that I would particularly uh, hail as uh, as as above, uh, yeah. uh, you know, something like this. I would look. I, I mean, I will. I would hope, and I don't want to be kind of manifesting bad luck here. But if Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio is not a part of this lineup, I'll be sticking my foot through the screen and sending the Oscars the bill. I think is the. I think he has a chance of Best Picture. Absolutely, Do you know? absolutely. Um, I, I and I think it's one of those things where the the campaign around it will get people mm-hmm. to think that, and then what they'll do is they'll just give it to the blandest live action film. Imaginable, which they usually do. Coda wins again. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what they do, isn't it? Is, is they'll they'll kind of every every five years or so they'll go. Oh wow! It, it looks like there's a there's a film here which which could it could win Best Picture, and there are no there are no live action films that I I I would look at and go, wow, that visually was an absolute feast for the eyes. Apart from one, a couple of years ago, The Green Knight didn't get nominated for anything. Oh, beautiful film. Absolutely gorgeous live-action film. Just just so rich and so kind of... I think it was another A24, wasn't it? But it was... Yeah, yeah. So rich and wonderful and just mesmerising. And, I mean, I'm, I'm a sucker for, for kind of, you know, historical stuff anyway, but this was historical nonsense. Yeah. And I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. And it got nothing. It's medieval fantasy. Yeah. It's medieval fantasy, but like with an art house spin on it, essentially, which I thought was really interesting. And it should have been Dev Patel's like breakout. It should have been the moment everyone realized, okay, he is the next big movie star. Put him in everything. And the fact that he's not in everything yet, it's really frustrating me because why isn't he in everything? <laughs> he's amazing. 
it's a it's a good point. It's a good point. He is he's brilliant. Uh, was it Lion that he was in as well? That was a that was a that was an absolute Belgian yeah. film as well. He's uh, hang on, we're talking about live action films, right? This isn't this isn't how we do the squiggly animation <laughs> Sorry. podcast. Sorry, like, God, unbelievable. It's about an actual human man. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, wait, what what animated films has he been in? Quick, quick. <laughs> um, no, but he, he he should be in everything, including whatever animated films you want to put him in. But he's he's such a great actor. Uh, and the Green Man, if you've not uh, the Green Knight, if you've not seen it. Um, yeah, definitely check that one out. It is just, yeah, absolutely masterful. Um, but yeah, what else on this list? Um, something I actually watched this uh, last night. Goodbye, Don Gleese. It's nice to see mm. some anime in here as well. Uh, you know, some mm-hmm. uh, not just LA centric films. There's there's a good proportion of yeah. uh, films here uh, from uh, from around the world. And it's not just a Netflix list as well. It's 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 good. Uh, True. Yeah, it's good to see that. Uh, goodbye, Don Gleese. Is uh, I'm not the world's biggest anime fan, um, mm. but when when films are put together nicely and as beautifully as this, I can see why it's on this list. It is a great film, and you know I think everyone should I'll check, check that it out. out. I haven't seen it yet. Oh yeah, it's it's, it's definitely worth checking out. Um, it's uh, it's it's a good one. Uh, whether or not it will make the long list, uh, short list is another another question. Yeah. Did you watch Apollo Ten and a Half? I did not. I watched the fury around it not being nominated for this category because it's um, uh, it, it rotoscoped, isn't it? So uh, there was mm-hmm. a, a big uh, hoo ha uh, uh, around whether or not it could be nominated, and then they right. and then they they said no, you can't be nominated because you're you know you're not animation, and everyone who's ever done rotoscoping was like, hang on. <laughs> you know, like, listen here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, I've not seen it. What have you seen it? What did you make of it? It's a fascinating thing where Richard Linklater can just release a movie and like three people talk about it. <laughs> it's a very strange thing. It was like it was like watching a screener, but it was out. It was it's very strange experience because it's like Richard Linklater. Everyone talks about you know. Uh, the p- before midnight, all that stuff, like constantly. But he releases this film, and it's to no fanfare. And, you know, Jack Black's in it and stuff like that. But one, Netflix don't promote things, mm-hmm. and two, the movie is a very strange movie. And I wondered if it would make the shortlist by star power alone. But I think the strange atmosphere of the film means that I I think it would just fall short. It's basically about like this fantasy story told by a 10 year old where he was the first human. Well, he, he underwent a test run for the Apollo 11 mission. Right. Like he was picked out at school because I can't remember the exact situation, but he was scouted by NASA and they said, Hey, we want you to go into space. And he couldn't tell anyone. And it takes about an hour to get to that point where that happens and about an hour for the rest of the movie. It's a very, very fascinating movie. It's like very calm to the point where you forget you're not watching something that actually didn't happen because it's just presented in this very matter of fact way. A very fascinating movie. I don't know how I feel about it still. I watched it a few months ago and I still don't know what to think about it, but I think it's worth checking out just because there's not much I've seen that's quite like it this year. And that, that one is on Netflix as well, isn't it? So Yeah, that's it, a Netflix. It, it's, yeah. it's one of those that's uh, hopefully not 
too buried by uh, by people's uh, algorithms, and people can just quickly uh, check it out and yeah. uh, and go and find it. Yeah, that's um, yeah, fascinating. I'm uh, I will uh, I'll, I'll check it out myself. I think uh, hopefully. Uh, before the new year, because it's Christmas is for, isn't it? Sitting around watching films, getting them, getting them all down. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Enjoy, uh, enjoy as well. Yeah. So overall, an okay list, right? You've got to, you've got to. Let's try and predict the academy, then, Ryan. Here's the game. Okay. Uh, ben never indulges me in this, so I'm forcing it on you. <laughs> give me, uh, give me the five that the academy are going to put through. And this isn't about Everyone what's good. This isn't. Disney. This isn't. Yeah. <laughs> This isn't about what's good. It's about who's got the money to promote the films. Go. <laughs> okay. Turning Red, Puss in Boots. Oh, that's actually really difficult. I praise the God they don't nominate DC Liga Super Pets. Oh, my God. I think <laughs> I'll throw something out a window. Uh, Del Toro's Pinocchio, that's three. Lightyear, that's four. And you think Mad God still? I think that's wishful thinking now. Because My Father's Dragon has a chance. Yeah. They've nominated lots of cartoons for in the past. Minions has a chance because it's minions. Bad guys. Bad guys. We, you know, bad guys still. Yeah. But I think you know, illuminate. I mean, um, DreamWorks had the pick with Puss in Boots. Even the Sea Beast could do it. Mm. Oh. <laughs> I'm gonna say my father's dragon and be a bit hopeful that they don't just do another illumination. Yeah. That's quite a nice balanced list. I quite like that. Yeah. I'm. Uh, I'm not going to do one myself. I. Uh, I'm not going to. Why not? No, no, because I, me, not I'd rather. I'd rather follow you into doing a list. <laughs> no, I think it's a great list. I think. Um, yeah, maybe definitely Del Toro's Pinocchio. If if a film yeah. like that can make such a big fuss on getting Best Picture and not get the almost like a yeah. backup nomination of the Best Animated, then the, I mean, there's something yeah, going they're, wrong. They're not even. They're not even campaigning it for Best Animated Feature. It's all the way Best Picture. Absolutely. It'll, it'll get nominated. Yeah. So Del Toro's Pinocchio. Out of the Pixars, I, I think it's only we're only going to see one nomination for Pixar, and that mm. is going to be Turning Red. Do you pray to God? I pray, pray it's going to be Turning Red. Just, you know, uh, just <laughs> to, to make me... Uh, uh, yeah, to, uh, the world would be right if that's the case. They might stick two and stick Lightyear in. They always just... You know the nomination list is it's down is down to people who don't watch the films. They're never going to yeah. pick Charlotte. They you know it's a it's a fantastic film about you know a very kind of you know, it, 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 a moment in history uh, and and they'll they'll never watch Goodbye Don Gleese. They'll never watch um, uh, any any of the others. But it it they won't they won't watch Marcel the Shell with snail uh, with shoes on. That's that's not going to be nominated. They're going to turn around to their grandkids and go. You know these these blustery old you know blood pressure laden white blokes are going to turn around their their grandkids and go <laughs> which one of these should I put through and they'll go Disney and then they'll just point at whichever ones they think are Disney films uh, so yeah. that's generally what happens uh, not that I'm mad. but that's the Lightyear problem isn't it because Lightyear is right there but again it's adapted and there's like a sequel kind of stigma I don't know it's it's just... exactly also there's no there's no um, straight musicals on this, if I'm correct. Or at least there's no Disney musicals. Yeah, it's a musical element to Pinocchio. I'm sure we'll talk about that later. But um, sure. But yeah, no. There's no kind of toe tapping albums, is there? There's no Encanto this year, so. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Encanto was just gonna just steamroll it, didn't it? Because Bruno, but mm. 
Yeah, interesting. We don't talk about Bruno, but yeah, it, it's um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think you could you quite so uh, turning red, Pinocchio, and then I got stuck, didn't I? Um, yeah, turning red, Pinocchio. I think you're going to have to say um, Strange World. It will get through. It will get through. It'll get through by the really? skin of yeah. It will. It's just it's you know they'll tip the money into it and it'll get through. And um, I would I would love to see my father's dragon, and I would love to see. Mm, I think you're going to see the bad guys. I don't think you're going to see no mad gods. No puss in boots. I think you're going to see the bad guys. That got a lot more. Um, yeah, that's that's had a lot more love than uh, than that. They're not going to stick. But I think. I think once Puss in Boots release is widely, mm-hmm. I think there'll be much more hype behind it than there was for the bad guys. And recency bias, maybe just like the fact that it's released at the end of the year and is in the news. We always see that one Oscar movie that comes out. Like, you know, there's a reason why She Said just came out. There's a reason why Babylon's about to come out. Yeah. There's a reason why The Fablemans just came out. It's because it's going to be fresh in the mind of these voters. Pinocchio as well. So I think, I think. Person B has a chance. Right. Well, we'll see, won't we? We'll see. <laughs> um, and the overall winner has got to be Pinocchio, but it's going to go to Strange World. That's my that's my prediction right there. <laughs> oh, no. That's my prediction right there. Is is they always when, what I, what I want last... doesn't correlate with <laughs> with what happens. Yeah. <laughs> when was the last stop motion that won a uh, best animated feature? Was it um, Curse of the Were Rabbit? It could well be. Lyca have never. Uh, Leica have never taken it away. That's a really mm. good question. Curse of the Were Rabbit, 2005, would that have been? Something like that? Yeah, it would be a fascinating wrinkle to it if a stop-motion movie wins Best Animated Feature. I think the Del Toro factor is just too strong. Yeah. Every time he releases something, it's Oscar-nominated. You know? Yeah, yeah. He just said Nightmare Alley, Shape of Water, won the Best Picture, so, you know. I think it has a very, very strong chance. Absolutely. Yeah, the last... And only stop motion film to have won the Academy Award for Best Animated Feature was in 2005, and it was Wallace and Gromit Curse of the Wear of It. Every other one has been CG, uh, and that, yeah, I'm including uh, Spider Man into the Spider Verse there uh, as well. Wait, it's there's never Spirited been a traditional Spirited 2D. Away, uh, 2002. I was going to say Spirit of the Way, yeah. yeah. Thank God. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's balanced it, hasn't it? Yeah. Wait. <laughs> wow. So, up from Poppy Hill, got nothing? Nope. Nope. Nothing. Not a not a dicky bird. Uh, lots of nominations. Wind Rises, House. Wow, incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's basically apart from Spider Verse, Happy Feet, Wallace and Gromit, and Spirited Away and Shrek. Every award since two thousand one has gone to a Disney production, uh, Disney or Pixar. So there you go. That's how the Academy. That's why I'm saying that Strange World's going to win. That's or you know it's it, <laughs> it, but also that's. That that gives us grounds for, as you said, there's no musicals this year. Gives us grounds for for mm. a nice surprise. This might be the year that uh, Del, Del Toro takes it with um, with Pinocchio, and I'd love to see it as well. But it, it goes on to that kind of that wider problem, which we've I've, I've seen manifested quite a lot recently in the public perception of animation, and and this is kind of being brought about again by the the film registry. Uh, that's uh, that's that's recently been revealed, which is for those that are not entirely sure, is it the Library of Congress in America 
they select 25 films a year to be inducted into the National Film Registry. And what this registry is, is it's just a way of preserving film which have a cultural, historical or aesthetic importance uh, and basically speak of the uh, America, definitely, this is definitely an American thing, uh, America's film heritage and kind of tell the story of America and ingenuity and all that sort of stuff. Um, and it's, it's a great, it's a great thing to have, uh, to, to be able to preserve films and to be able to say, these are important. We need to save these for the nation. Um, and this year, the animated film that went through was The Little Mermaid, which is obviously a, a Disney film. And I thought, wow, well, I'll have a little look and see which animated films have made the list in the past. And there are 13 of them. Every single one mm. of them is a Disney film apart from Shrek. <laughs> and I just despair. I just, like, I just, like, where's, I mean, if you're talking about historical and aesthetical and cultural perspectives and importance, you know, where's Bill Plimpton's work? Bill Plimpton makes his own films by himself. Where's, you know, mm. I, these films have to be 10 years old, by the way, uh, but, you know, where's, you know, right. um, uh, where's well, Ralph Bakshi's work? Where's, you know, where's the work of uh, even Don Bluth? You could argue that's Irish, but obviously it's, they're American, they're very American films. But where, mm. where's, where's the Iron Giant? If you're going to have a, a, a crowd pleaser, it's all Disney right. work. And, but this is down to the public. The public put their vote in for, for the films that they want to see. And there are a lot of films, live action films, that have not made this list. This is this is one of the things where people come up with lists. <laughs> we see this a lot. We've just seen this, uh, and people hate the list because that's not what I would do. <laughs> but it, it, mm. it, when we look at it, it's I'm not looking at it as the list itself. I'm looking at it as a snapshot of a perception of animation and what needs to mm -hmm. be done, what needs to be challenged, what needs to be uh, changed in order for the general public to open their eyes and open their minds and their palettes up to a little bit more kind of to a broader range of stories and a broader range of, of mediums and methods and, and, and to really appreciate what is going on in animation as opposed to just sticking a Disney film on loop to keep the kids quiet. And it's, I don't know. It just, I don't know if, it, if this gets you, Ryan, you know, you, you, as you, as you said at the top there, you know, just, getting into animation but yeah this winds me up <laughs> <laughs> no 100 percent. in in a certain perspective you can see that to tell the story of american animation is to tell, tell the story of walt disney because you could argue that he is the genesis of so much mm. but like you said there are so many other notable figures see the problem with a list like this is that it's not intentional if it's public voted then there's nothing you can do. You're just kind of at the whims of it's. It's more of just like a, a census, more than it is a governing a, a body being like, okay, this is what's important to American history from an objective standpoint. It's just like if you ask the random person to name an animated movie, how many people are going to say a non-Disney movie? Yeah, not many, not many at all. Um, and and the, the, then you go onto the the kind of you know the. People just mention uh, Miyazaki movies, or people will just mention uh, DreamWorks films. They'll, they'll they'll shout Shrek at you, or something like that. That's that's mm -hmm. generally what will happen. And it's not that I disagree with The Little Mermaid being a part of this list because 
it was a technical innovator. It was, you know, such an amazing uh, moment in Disney history. It's when, um, you know, Ashman and, and Menken really took Disney to this kind of, the, it, it kickstarted the second renaissance. Well, you know, you could say Roger mm-hmm. Rabbit did that, but it kickstarted the second Disney renaissance and, you know, created the kind of musical, Disney musical, which uh, has, has, has been their kind of a key to their success ever since, really. So it does deserve a place on a list. It's just that, you know, you don't just have to put one animated feature through a year. You can put as many as you want through. Just, yeah, but the public needs to be a bit more aware of it. And I think moving on from this list and going on to another list, which is, has really, <laughs> uh, has really kind of been another kind of fury, <laughs> you know, machine of fury for people is this Sight and Sound magazine list, which uh, is, for those that don't know, Sight and Sound every 10 years release a list of the best films of all time. Uh, the greatest films of all time, as they call it. And it is a it is a list to behold. They get directors, they get critics, they get um, they they get you know the who's who of the big screen to decide their top ten films, and from that they whittle it down to the greatest films of all time. And everyone looks forward to it, and everybody, uh, I think they look forward just to be angry about it. Uh, and <laughs> why why not? Uh, um, and the reason I was angry with it is because. There was two animated films in this list. Two. Out of, you know, the whole, everything you could do, uh, the whole spectrum of, of animation and, and, and everything that's been created, and two, almost side by side, 72, yeah. My Neighbor Totoro, and 75, Spirited Away. Two Miyazaki films. Yeah, and if you were to read the list in order, they are next to each other because it's like a joint 74, yeah. then 72. They're literally right next to each other in the list. Two Miyazaki movies, only two animated movies, just bunched together at the top end of the list. Dealt with, done, gone. Yeah, that'll shut that'll shut Steve up. We've got some animation <laughs> on it. That'll shut Squiggly up. <laughs> yeah. and it's it's But it's not on, I, I, I don't think, as well. I think it, it's almost like they just kind of... They were asked to pick top films, and they looked at it and went, oh, I've just picked live action. Oh, I'll pick an animated film. Oh, hang on. I'm more sophisticated than picking a Disney film. I'm going to pick a, a Studio Ghibli film. <laughs> oh, how devious of me. Yes. And, and they put the same two films in, and, and it's, yeah, it's just, it's just weak. It's just really weak uh, to, to see animation or, you know, they're, they're not even the best animated films ever made. They're not even the best Miyazaki films. <laughs> yes, they're just yeah. yeah. <laughs> Spirit of the Way is only as loved as it is because it's the first one distributed by Disney properly. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's such a lazy inclusion. Such a lazy inclusion. It's incredibly lazy. And obviously, like in the days afterwards, when the Science Hard Mag actually got published, and the director's picks were publicly available. Obviously, those those went around Twitter, and I think in February they release the issue with the critics' choices. Ah, right. If I'm, and I think the critics' choices is where we see that bias. Because looking at some of the um, 
uh, one of the sort of director choices. I saw Perfect Blues in there. I saw a Kung Fu Panda in there. Yeah. So I think there's a, <laughs> I think there's a big gap in the critics' appreciation of animation, which is very minimal, and the critics' idea of oh, I have to appear like I know film, rather than the directors just genuinely appreciating cinema. I I'm so curious to see if they just did the director's choices, how this would differ. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to pick a, a... I mean, for me, Grave of the Fireflies, all day long. So it's not a Miyazaki film, obviously, but it's uh, in, in terms of Ghibli, mm-hmm. that is yeah. that is Ghibli at the height of their powers. Uh, and it was, you know, it's just absolutely... It's heartbreak. It's as heartbreaking as the most heartbreaking film on this list. Mm. It, it's it's absolutely mm-hmm. marvelous. I'm not saying it's the best animated film of all time, but it really kind of kicks you in the throat. It's it's a it's a masterpiece. Yeah, if, yeah. It's it's issue where it's like if you're gonna go with Ghibli, you've just gone for the most obvious ones, and it sucks. Yeah. Um, for me, it's it's Whisper of the Heart. For me, Whisper of the mm. Heart is the crown of Ghibli. Even um, Tale of the Princess Kaguya, I'd say, is more than deserving as a spot on this list. Both non-Miyazaki movies that would never see this list because people don't understand that there are other people at Ghibli. <laughs> it's yeah, it's definitely it's definitely one that um you know that, that generates all this great conversation as well. And and at the end of the day, as much as we're complaining about where are these where are they on the list? I say we're complaining, Ryan. You're tolerating my complaints. That's what so like, you know. Um <laughs> It, as much as there's complaints going on and, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, babble on uh, social media about it, isn't it great that we're talking about film? Isn't it great that we're talking about animation? Isn't it great mm-hmm. that the conversation continues? And even though they've not made the list, we're now talking about other films that could have made the list. And it would be, it would be nice for people to kind of explore those films and to find, you know, to find, settle a little bit, you know, differently, uh, as to, um, where they might place uh, other films. Even on the flip side, though, there are people upset that there were even two animated Miyazaki movies on the list. Who are those and people? It's, it's a... <laughs> I can dig out the random screenshots of yeah. Twitter posts <laughs> I was sent. But, um, yeah, it's... I want it's, IP addresses. Uh, I, want, I want home addresses. <laughs> I want... These people don't deserve to be... <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> right, I'm only half joking. It's it's the curious thing to where like in ten years' time, will we have progressed enough to see a Satoshi Kon movie make the list? Mm. Will we have progressed enough to see a stop motion movie make the list? You know, it's the attitudes towards animation and to some people is still so strange. Yeah, it's the strangest thing, isn't it? Because like, it's not like people say, "Oh, I only look at." photos instead of paintings paintings of a for babies but i'd only like photos it's so dumb yeah it's just a film but presented in a different way get over it these are stories it's a list of the greatest stories of all time you could say you know the greatest stories exactly. on screen it, it, it's it's as simple as that and i think you will find the greatest stories within animation you'll find some great stories mm-hmm. in film absolutely but you will find them within animation as well so you know, let's 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 be a little bit more balanced, maybe in future. Every critic who's listening to this, which is maybe none, because they saw the word animation and thought, "Ooh, I'm not listening to that." Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I was fascinated seeing, like, um, I think it was, um, oh, the name of the director, Mike Lee, uh, the uh, director of Peterloo and, and and many other things. 
he put how a mosquito operates on his list, which is a really obscure film made back in 1912 by uh, Winsor McKay. Wow. And it's about a mosquito who goes into a hotel room and literally sucks the blood out of this guy. This mosquito is huge. Uh, and it's a, it's a, a, a 12 minute long animated film. Uh, I think it's either pre Gertie, the dinosaur or around the time of Gertie, the dinosaur. So it's a historic film. And for Mike Lee to go, yep, that's in my top 10. That's, that's quite left field and quite refreshing to see that that's he's, bold. it's really bold, bold yeah. really bold. Uh, good to see that he's not just stuck with Godfather Part Two up there like everybody else, and <laughs> and Psycho, and you know, whew. Uh, uh, yeah, the Hitchcock, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Hitchcock. But um, yeah, I didn't know. So was shorts eligible, or do you just pick it anyway? Well, I, I think Mike Lee's not the type of person who who will who bows to rules. I think. <laughs> but I think if you're talking about films, I don't think they've they've stuck any kind of um, uh, rules for or against. Uh, they've not said uh, feature films, so uh, sticking a short on there is uh, must be eligible. Uh, or maybe the editor saw it and he said, oh, "I can't really tell Mike Lee to do this again. <laughs> like, yeah, do it again." And st- well, they didn't know what it was. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, well, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Windsor McKay. Never heard of him. Um, get it to print. But yeah, it's <laughs> um, it, it's uh, it's an interesting one. I mean, what, some of the people that. And it's, this is why it's refreshing seeing Guillermo del Toro. People like Guillermo del Toro, who I don't think he had any animation on his list, but we'll forgive him because he's done an awful lot to champion the animated cause in recent years. And it's absolutely fantastic that Pinocchio is now with us. I, I, I rewatched it the other day just to, uh, just to give us, uh, get, get us ready for this. It's sublime, isn't it? We've we've touched upon it in the lead up to this, but it's an absolutely sublime film. What were your thoughts on it, Ryan? You can disagree. You can say it's crap, but you know, bear in mind <laughs> he's the guest that's coming up with uh, Mark Gustafsson. <laughs> oh, I couldn't even bring myself to lie and say it's bad. Yeah. Um, stunning film, stunning. The thing that jumped out to me the most is just the minute details, um, especially on my most recent rewatch. So I just found myself thinking, oh, I love the little bumps on Jiminy Cricket's head. Oh, I love the random nails sticking out of Pinocchio's back because he was cobbled together. I, I, I love the um, this way this balloon floats into the scene in this one scene. Like just the smallest little things that, like, oh, he didn't have to include the monkey spit shining this cane in the background but we get a close-up on that just to see a stop-motion monkey spit out goo and (laughs) shine this cane you know it's just those very small things that just make it such a delightful film and then there's the big story aspects where the film just goes places that i never would have expected a pinocchio movie to go and the things it explores are so fascinating and some of these some of the dialogue is just ah, uh, if yeah, it it's absolutely one of the best pictures, the best uh, movies I've seen this year, and it should absolutely be a front runner for best picture of the Oscars because I just haven't seen a film so beautifully stitched together, and uh, from a from a visual standpoint, and how it carries such weight 
thematically as well. There's so much to, to analyze and get into in this film and so much to feel in this film as well. It's gorgeous. Yeah. I do what you're saying about it is a completely different take on Pinocchio. You won't find Mussolini ordering the execution of Pinocchio <laughs> in the Disney movie or in the, the recent remakes uh, of Pinocchio. You only get that with Del Toro. You only get that type of, you know, um, looking at fascism with a, with, you know, with an incredible kind of um, a take on the kind of, there's a moment where, um, Pinocchio makes himself known to the townsfolk. This is, you know, very early on in the film. And the Podesta, who's the kind of, you know, the, the neighborhood fascist who, who's kind of keeping the, the kind of Mussolini's order uh, in the town, says something like, like, who's controlling him? And Pinocchio, rather innocently as a child, goes, who controls you? And it's, and it's, uh, yeah. and everyone's like, oh, and it's, it, it, it's so well done. And Del Toro, has always played well with fairy tales. Always. Mm. He, particularly through a design way, through a design world. And you see that instantly with the spirits of the forest that become... Uh, oh, my God. The, when, yeah. It, it, it's... I don't know where to... I don't know where to where to begin with the beauty of this film. Uh, I did as well. It's, it's nice to view the magic of animation that, you know, Mussolini is also voiced by SpongeBob. It's Tom Kenny. <laughs> so SpongeBob voicing Mussolini killing Pinocchio. It's it's quite a it's quite a zigzag around uh, culture there. But yeah, it's amazing. You know, it's it's an original story. It it, it doesn't really go from the mm-hmm. the 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 original text too much. It doesn't lean on Disney. It's about Pinocchio indulging in life's you know in in life really and and just keeping his kind of childhood uh, joie de vivre around him the original yeah. text was always a caution and the original disney film was always a caution about you know pinocchio he goes to pleasure island and he acts like an ass so he becomes an ass you know that's the joke that's why he becomes the donkey and that's always that was the case in the book mm-hmm. but i think what this is is that this pinocchio changes the cynical evil world around him just by maintaining that kind of childish innocence, that life that he's been given has an effect on everyone else around. And there's something quite beautiful about that. And if, and as you say, if that isn't worth accolades, then nothing really is. And it, yeah. it's constructed in such a beautiful way. The puppets are sublime. We were lucky enough to have them uh, at Manchester Animation Festival this year, and the detail on them was absolutely incredible. I, I know that a, mm. a big bulk of them has been made by McKinnon and Saunders, um, but obviously made by Shadow Machine as well. And I think there's a team in Guadalajara that were making the puppets also. Right. Um, and if anyone's interested in finding out more about the puppets, uh, there's an interview with puppet supervisor uh, Georgina Haynes and production designer Guy Davis by Laura Beth, which is on the site. So search Pinocchio, and you'll and you'll see that on the website. Definitely worth uh, looking at that one. Um, yeah, just amazing. And while we're talking about voiceover artists or, or going zigzagging through this film, Kate Blanchett there's a monkey. How how great's that? <laughs> It's wonderful. And it just speaks to like, have you seen the clip of Guillermo talking about that? Yeah. He's like on the set of um, 
nightmare of Kate Blanchett, Kate Blanchett. And she just loved working with him so much that she said, whatever you do next, I want to be in it. There's only one role left. It's a monkey. I'll do it. Like, Guillermo is like, he has to be just the nicest guy in Hollywood. You know? You know, I wasn't going to bring this up, but because you made me jealous of the Spider-Man thing, I'm going to make you jealous <laughs> with saying that I got to hang out with Guillermo for like an hour and a half at a screening um, <laughs> a couple of months ago. And um, just the most lovely guy. But the way he talked about this movie, it really, like, I only saw the first 40 minutes of it on that day. Um, but the the way he talked about the complexity of it, because he said it was a way of him processing his father's death. Mm. Um, and there's a huge theme of mortality running through the movie. But also there's what you uh, tapped into, which is like the fascism and the idea of rebellion. The movie is about rebellion and the movie is about individuality and maintaining individuality in a fascist world. And if you look at what's happening in Italy right now, it's extremely prescient to fact, the fact that they um, recently elected a uh, a leader who is essentially a Mussolini supporter. It's, it's uncannily prescient um, and so important. And the way he was talking on that night, he said the film was like asking the question of why do these ideas keep coming around? Mm. If we all accept that fascism is bad, why does it keep coming around? Why are we still here? It just goes to show like just the depth of this film is unlike any kind of fairy tale adaptation that you'll get. There's no single moral to the story. There's no turn to camera and say, like, kids, that's why you shouldn't blah, 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 blah. <laughs> that's it's why you shouldn't kids. do fascism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's none of that. And I would not show this to a child, I don't think, especially like the scene where Pinocchio is created. Um, you get this like biblically accurate angel mixed with like an evil eye aesthetic, uh, bringing this hacked wooden boy to life who Geppetto created in a drunken rage yeah. with thunder outside and a lightning storm like it's so different to anything you're you're getting from any other previous adaptation because it's not built for a child to learn not to do a thing it's built to tell anyone to just be how to process like just just life and death and survival and ah, oh, it's I could talk about it all day. It's gorgeous. It's permission to be—that's what it is, isn't it? And I think, yeah, and I, I, yeah. I think I would show it to a to a child. It's it's a film. It's a film for everyone. I wouldn't. I mean, it depends on the age. I mean, if I showed it to a five-year-old, mm-hmm. they wouldn't care. They'd probably think it was maybe you know too too uh, dark in tone, and then you know want to watch Paw mm-hmm. Patrol or something like. Oh, I don't know. It's not a bright movie. It's not it a, bright, not a movie. bright movie. <laughs> It is not Illuminations Mario. No. You know, there's perhaps like one. There's three colours in it shot. and they're all brown. This is, <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, one's a brownie grey, but you know. Uh, but it's, it's, uh, it, 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 I think it's important that kids, that kids see that type of thing. I, I was young and I watched The Nightmare Before Christmas. And, mm-hmm. and that's, arguably, that's not a kid's film. It's it's in the same it's in a similar vein. Obviously, it's been very Disneyfied since and 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 merged up. So it is it is kind of 
something of a kid's film. I suppose the songs in that really make it the kid's film as well. And there's no mm. songs in this, although there are songs, but they kind of come naturally. And I've seen people complain about yeah. that, but I don't see where the complaint could come from. Not every song in an animated film has to be, you know, yeah, da, da. you know, it doesn't have to be like full on. It, it, it can be just a, a mode of expression. It doesn't have to be singing and dancing. It doesn't have to be tap dancing. It doesn't have to be, we don't talk about Bruno or, or um, mm-hmm. let it go. It, it can be as simple as just expressing something that's happening to move the story forward. Yeah, that was one of my favourite ways the movie subverts the fairy tale trope. I think there are two f- songs in the film and then one song that plays through the credits. And yeah, like you said, it pops up naturally in the story. The first song isn't played for enjoyment almost. Yeah. It's very juxtaposed against what's happening on on the screen. I'm like, it really makes you tap into what each character is feeling. And every character, there's three characters in that scene, they're all feeling a different thing. Mm-hmm. There's like complete horror from one character. <laughs> there's Pinocchio just being like obliviously free. Yeah. And then there's Jiminy Cricket just trying to tie the two together and <laughs> trying to make the each side make sense of the other side. Yeah, bottles smashing, knives flying, and throughout it, a child saying, what's this? What's that? And, and it's just such a... Yeah. Uh, it's not what's this is in <laughs> Nightmare Before Christmas, but it's a similar kind yeah, of like, yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it, it's that type of, it's such a moment. It's, it's, it's kind of encapsulated in the moment. And if that was, if that was just Pinocchio asking questions, that would be a bit of a time sink. But what they've done is they've shushed it up with that kind of moment of Pinocchio and it demonstrates Pinocchio's kind of, like I said earlier on, his joie de vivre, his, his youthful exuberance, you know, and it, and it, it really paints that picture. Um, really, really nice. Um, and I think as well, you know, there's a sort of warts and all to it that uh, an asymmetry and a warts and all, which is really nice. And this, this goes into the animation as well. Something which, uh, Guillermo's really made a big point of and, and Mark Gustafsson, the, the, the co-director, uh, is the fact that the animation is natural. And what we mean by that is it's not yes. point to point. Usually with animated films, what you do is you would block, so you would know where you are going. Uh, uh, and, uh, but with this, I think they made a point of saying, don't do that. We want to see it naturally. And there are moments, like you mentioned earlier on, where, where Geppetto's uh, wrestling with a balloon, or, or even subtle moments. Um, not so much, I mean, obviously, when he gets up in his drunken stupor and, and, and acts his way through that. But there's a moment I notice when they're going to bed and I think it's either uh, Pinocchio and Carlo, or Pinocchio, uh, sorry, uh, Carlo and Geppetto, or Pinocchio and, mm-hmm. and Geppetto. And Geppetto kind of moves his elbows and snuggles into the blanket to, to move himself down the bed. You wouldn't get that in a frame-to-frame animated, a, a, a block-to-block animated film so much. You'd have yeah. the character already in a position where they just need to do one move to go to sleep. Whereas what this was is this is real acting. This is real kind of, you know, detailed, lifelike. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful work. Yeah. I heard him say something on the lines of, I wanted the characters to trip over while they were walking, you know? Yeah. I want the characters to, like, have those minor kind of flaws. Because, yeah, like you say, you you have... 
you do stop motion, you have a set defined, okay, here's what has to happen in this scene. We storyboarded it to death. Here's exactly how he has to walk from here to here. But yeah, that's not natural. That's not how life works. Sometimes you're walking and you slip over a little bit. And sometimes in a live action movie, that's how it works. You The, the performance of the actor, even if it's a mistake, it just makes everything feel a bit more grounded. And it was kind of this idea of incorporating mistakes into the into the stop motion. I think that's such a it's a brilliant idea and it plays gorgeously in the film. It really makes you feel that kind of it it's it really makes it stand out against anything else you've seen in stop motion probably. Can you think of a stop motion film that feels like this? Not one that feels like this, no. It's definitely a cut above and it's definitely Del Toro. And and I it's yeah more please please don't go back to live action mm-hmm. um mr please, del toro yes. do 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 the next one you know revisit anything else you want to make in stop motion just make it mm-hmm. uh just the addition of of his his lens on these classic stories is 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 beautiful and the 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 direction and the you know the the you know, Mark Mark Gustafsson, the co-director, is not somebody to be glossing over here as well. His work is something of uh, that that Guillermo has great respect for as well. Have you ever seen Return to Oz? I haven't. You haven't? Oh my! Oh well, I haven't. It's one of the worst films ever made, but it's got some of the best <laughs> stuff in it. It's and and this is not this is not saying <laughs> Mark Gustafson's a genius. Anyway, he made this awful film. He didn't. He didn't. <laughs> you know, like he didn't. He he provided. So he's part of um, Will Vinton uh, Studios. Mm-hmm. So he made a, he, he was uh, involved in uh, making the Adventures of Mark Twain, a very underrated animated film. Um, and he did the animated segments of Moonwalker and the, you know, the, the Michael Jackson film. Um, and he did, uh, you know, the California Raisins and the PJs and, and, and all this type of this, this stuff for this kind of underrated director, Will Vinton. But if you see the animated sequences and segments in Return to Oz, you're seeing something quite masterful going on. I think it's the Gnome King. And there's a moment, and he's made of rocks. But he still manages to get such fantastic acting and such nuanced kind of uh, performance uh, out of this clearly plasticine but rock uh, character. Mm. Uh, and it's just everything that's beautiful about stop motion. Um, you know, put in a largely terrible film, but it it helps. It is some of the best bits of of the film. Uh uh, and it's it's this just this tremendous stop motion that adds to that kind of you know fairy tale uh, uh, beautiful aesthetic. It's really good stuff. Um, so it's a, it is a bit of a match made in heaven, uh, Guillermo and um, and Mark Gustafsson uh, to make this film. And yeah, you're right. There's no there's nothing quite like it, is there? Yeah, there's like a roughness to it, mm. kind of like that very much lived in. And I love that you can see the um, the effect of fascism. Uh, on like and the effect of living on Mussolini, in Mussolini's Italy, on the movie because the movie starts I think in World War One. Yes, yeah, because on Cardo's grave it's um 1916, mm. and then we jump 20 years I think into the 1930s, and you see a scene of Geppetto walking through a town with Carlo, then a scene of him walking through a town with Pinocchio. Yeah, 
or Pinocchio chasing him through town. And the the difference is so pronounced. And it's a detail that I hope people go back. Thank, uh, a good thing about being on Netflix, you just go back and rewind and look at those details as much as you want. But um, yeah, it rewards you for that. It really does reward you. It's not something I caught on the first watch, but definitely the, the second time I was like, oh, you see how this little village in Italy has been run down by fascism? Yeah. How the colours are more muted and ah, it's 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 brilliant. Um can we get into spoilers? Or should we not? Uh go on then. Well, well I tell you what, uh what 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 do you want to spoil for people? I think I think if if you have not seen uh Pinocchio yet then shame on you. So yeah, let's get into spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you should have done your homework by now. Yeah. So Pinocchio dies multiple times in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Definitely uh, a twist I was not expecting. Yeah, because there's a scene where he just gets hit by a car and Jimmy Cricket says, oh, he is dead. And you think for a comedic thing, he's going to get back up because he's Pinocchio. No, you go into the afterlife where there are rabbits, a skeleton rabbits, holding his coffin, uh, playing poker in these gruff Bob Hoskin-esque uh, accents. Like, <laughs> it's gone full circle, what, this podcast. It's, gone... <laughs> it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. It's like, uh, what what part of death do you not understand? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's such a, a, a funny little thing. And then he meets the angel of death and has a discussion of, with her about mortality and how the beauty of life is the fact that it ends and Pinocchio would never be able to experience that kind of finite time mm. on Earth, um, but everyone else he knows will. And it's kind of like a joy that he's locked out of and make, that makes him want to be a real boy. But there's also the part of him that sees the real people, quote-unquote real people around him be the puppets of like a fascist regime and the way the afterlife is presented in the film just from a visual standpoint is gorgeous mm. but also the philosophical um conversations that i had and the conversations it makes you have are just fantastic so yeah, what did you think of like that aspect of the film i i loved it i i, I the kind of conceit of him being being immortal is an avenue that that wasn't explored anywhere else, or couldn't really be explored anywhere else, and it is a, such a nice way of of bringing a, a, a nice added added layer to this already kind of you know visually layered film, but to have it kind of layered in the story as well, you know, provokes that conversation, that provokes that kind of you know the 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 joy of it all of of of, uh, of what it is to watch this film. Yeah, it it made and this is super spoilers. You know, right at the very end, he wraps it all together. It saves the day. You know, Jiminy Cricket gives his gift. It brings it all together. But then the film continues. I was satisfied. I was like, that is a great way of of ending a film. But I completely forgot I was watching a masterpiece because <laughs> I was I was <laughs> I couldn't see it before my very eyes. And then it continued. It continued to tell the story. It continued to talk about how people aged and died and withered mm. and were found and what happened to Pinocchio and how Pinocchio, you know, uh, that, that made part of his life. And 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 then it leaves an uh, hanging an open question and the, the film ends as it began. 
and and it's such a beautiful piece of work it really is um i just yeah i'm i'm just i'm blown away by it i really am there's a lot of films yes. i've seen recently and i'm blown away by it there are questions more questions ridiculous questions i came up with pinocchio sets fire to his feet in the film <laughs> and then he's given new feet and they become his feet and he can operate and move them. And he says something to, Pin to Geppetto when he says something like, can I have cricket legs, dad? Can I have, you know, can I, I'm thinking, could he? Could he have cricket legs? Could he, could, could Geppetto just keep building him until he's like just this enormous monster? <laughs> like this, a mech. Just like a, a mech. wooden mech. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> just, could he keep, could he turn him into anything? Could he, if Pinocchio touches a ship, a wooden ship, does the ship then come to life? <laughs> If Pinocchio, you know, and and I've thought, just watch the film, Steve. Behave, just <laughs> just stop being an idiot. Um, but yeah, it, it kind of made me think about the um, uh, is it the, the ship, ship of Theseus? Ship of Theseus, yeah. All these bits of Pinocchio that's fallen off. Could he build another Pinocchio? What? Where's the limits? <laughs> um, but yeah, that's not that's not spoilers. That's just that's just me being an idiot and talking about the film. <laughs> but yeah, to kind of allow the audience to. To, I'm not going to call it creativity, but to allow them to conjure up their own imaginings is, uh, <laughs> and to make you think about the film afterwards is a gift. It really is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those rare movies that's actually kind of a bit of a slow burn. I don't think it hit me in the moment how good the movie was after my first watch, mm. but I went home and thought about it more. I was like, oh, that was actually really cool and unique. Yeah. And I woke up the next day. I was like, actually, that, I don't think I've seen that before. And then I came out on Netflix. I watched it again. I was like, "That's brilliant!" Like, I, I like it's re for me. It was that kind of slow burn, and I think it took me a second to kind of clock what Guillermo was trying to do and go in those extra steps, deciding to go to the afterlife, decide to show what happens when people around him all pass away, and how he deals with that at the end of the movie. It's the movie about you know going that extra step, and I think it's quite yeah it. For some people, it might just take a second to really sink in, which brings to the question: like, how did it play at math? What was the crowd like? Yeah, math. Oh, we were really lucky. At, at, at we played it at Manchester Animation Festival this year, and obviously, a lot of the work was uh, the puppets were made at McKinnon and Saunders, which is a local studio here in Manchester. So it was something of a family screening, and I, I actually mm. made a point of getting people who were. I said, "Is anyone here who worked on the film?" When I introduced the film, I said, "Is anyone here who worked on the film? Please stand up." And lots of people stood up, and I made sure that they got a huge round of applause um, uh, ahead of the film. And it it went down incredibly well. It was such a beautiful atmosphere to play a film in. The screening itself was at a place called Home, and if you've not been to Home Theatre in Manchester, go to it. It's such a such a great screen. So it was presented beautifully, and it just felt like a family screening. That's that's the studio. That's McKinnon and Saunders. And one of the things that you have to appreciate from Guillermo and Mark, what they did at the end of their film, is they put the animators and the puppet makers ahead of the voice cast in the credits. Mm. And that is very politically charged. There are, uh, I know at places um, like Disney, getting on the kind of pre-scroll uh, credits is a... A cutthroat endeavour. Um, it, it's 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 you know to get your name before the credits start scrolling in that 
preview bit in in the bit where you know mm-hmm. the characters are still there or the design's still there is a big deal and for uh, but for you know Guillermo Mart to go well these are the people that you've just been watching you know you've mm-hmm. heard the voice artists we'll we'll celebrate them as well but these are the people you've just been watching it's just class all the way through as far as i'm concerned but yeah it was a great screening in manchester we got a a preview. <laughs> this is a little bit of a, a, a mistake as well. Um, we had a um, an introduction from Guillermo himself to, to introduce the film, but I was just basically I wanted to uh, say hello to everybody and to make sure that McKinnon and Saunders celebrate were celebrated as well. And we were all settled down to watch the film, and I come up and, uh, and I, I nod to the projectionist to start the um, the the introduction, which means that you know my card comes up on the screen. But I think they pressed the wrong button. So I come out and go, hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Manchester Animation Festival, blah, blah, blah. And then in the background, I hear, hello, Manchester. And it's Guillermo del Toro <laughs> behind me on, on the big screen. And he's like, it's like well, well, that's the surprise ruined. That's the, you know, that's the, <laughs> we had this loaded up as a surprise. But yeah, um, we, 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 we kind of, uh, we had fun with it. So um, yeah, it was a great, it was a great screen at Manchester. And then seeing it again uh, on, on the small screen at home, uh, like you say, it's something that it, it takes repeat viewings. You know, what I took away from the first screening, I didn't take away from the second screen. I took away something completely different. It it rewatches uh, as a da- as a dad watching it as as um, as a father. Uh, I felt I felt feelings <laughs> about you know <laughs> I'm an old cranky drunken father and I have a, a you know a, a, a son who's full of the the joys of life. So obviously I I had. Um, <laughs> My alcoholism uh, is a problem. No, I, 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 um, I, I, I yeah, I, I definitely got where he was going from in terms of the family aspects. That, you know, such a great film, such a great film. There's also a making of as well. So if anyone wants to go on Netflix, uh, yes. have a watch of that. Um, there's some great um, behind the scenes stuff. You know about the scale of the puppets, about how the the main villain of the film became a background character. <laughs> Um, you know, there's so many uh, additional uh, bits and pieces there, and just how the cameras were moving and the, the, the you know photography elements. Ah, oh, it's just it's mouth watering. Go and watch it. You know, really get stuck in. Um, yeah, marvelous stuff. Marvelous. And keep stuff. and keep making stop motion. Just keep going. Keep doing stop motion. We need it. We do. At, at the Q and A, Guillermo said, "Like stop motion has been a lost art since the moment it was invented." <laughs> I thought that was such a, <laughs> a brilliant way to put that, but it's true. And I, I don't want to go so many years without like a big stop motion movie. You know, since we, since the uh, Wes Anderson's just stopped making them, you know, mm. we need someone to carry on that torch and torch and just keep making those high level, big budget stop motion films. Yeah. I don't know if he has one cooking, but yeah. I'm glad that this has come and just remind people that it's awesome. It's so cool. It is. It, I mean, it is. It's, it's a special type of magic from stop motion and it's so great to see. If you've not seen Pinocchio yet, if we've not spoiled it, if you've listened this far, watch <laughs> it. If you have seen it, watch it again. Um, so yeah, it's on Netflix now. Uh, but uh, who's that coming down the chimney? It's a, uh, a rather portly guy with a beard and a cheery, rosy red face. Why, it's Ben Mitchell. And <laughs> he's brought us an interview. With uh, Guillermo del Toro and Mark Gustafsson. So uh, let's hand over to Ben. Guillermo, Mark, thank you so much for talking to Squiggly today. And uh, 
it's really, really wonderful uh, to be able to get some time with you. Uh, managed to catch this film at MAF a couple weeks ago. Uh, absolutely uh, brought the house down. So congratulations, first of all. Uh, it's a wonderful piece of work. Thank you. Uh, it's had a bit of a lifespan, I guess, a few like stops and starts before it finally got going. And I was kind of curious how the planet sort of aligned to finally get this off the ground and over the finish line, so to speak. Well, even even after, I mean, we've been trying since the early 2000s uh, to get it made. And I think that uh, everybody said no. And then we were about to take it to international financing, which is uh, high seas piracy, really. It was very risky, um, but we were about to take it. And I, I, I quite uh, pointedly said, let us try with Netflix, because I had a great experience with them on Tales of Arcadia. You know, all the Troll Hunters, Three Below, Wizards. We, we did over 80 episodes, and it was really creatively very free. Uh, Ted Sarandos loved the series. So we went, uh, it was the last stop, even after Shape of Water, uh, people were not interested in doing it. So it was really great to pitch it to Ted and he said, uh, yes, on the room. It was very, very easy to, because he knew this was going to be something special. He knew it from the designs, from the pitch and, uh, it, it was it, it was a fantastic experience, as expected. Creatively, we had complete autonomy. Wonderful, yeah, I, I From what I understand, you actually sort of started dabbling in stop motion at a pretty young age. Is that correct? <laughs> Horribly so, yeah. <laughs> with, with, the, with the results that you may imagine, but uh, you know, in in high school, we were pretty pretty happy with. Uh, uh, doing clay transformations and you know, um, uh, sort of a workshop with the younger kids. It was it was fun and and uh, animation uh, has always been uh, you know something I not only study and collect but uh, try to practice, particularly in the last uh, fifteen years or so. I started to come back to it through DreamWorks first and. Uh, and and uh, preparing Pinocchio even back then. Yeah. I was wondering, did those sort of early kind of dabblings, I suppose, and I think a lot of people listening will be able to relate to the sort of horribleness of, of the beginnings of that journey. But in a sense, did that perhaps kickstart that itch for storytelling and, and filmmaking in general? Yeah, as Mark, as Mark says, is the, one, is the one form of animation, clay or stop motion, that you can do basically alone in your room you know it's a uh, for some reason stop motion is like a attracts all those weirdos you know <laughs> more than animation in a way don't you think yeah absolutely i mean i remember my probably my first experience with it it wasn't really stop motion but we would we would strap m80s to um the neighbors uh, barbie dolls and blow them up and see if we could get a picture at the moment that they were exploding. Yeah. And <laughs> Talking the other day with Henry Selig, we, we were agreeing on, on the fact that uh, nothing expresses uh, the weird and the, and the sort of odd and slanted like stop motion. Uh, it, really, it really has that quality to, to bring, bring things that are off kilter to life. 
Yeah, there's a there's a kind of broken quality to it that I think is attracts broken people. Yeah. <laughs> Not to get yeah. too dramatic, but yeah. you know, we've all got a little of that in us. Yes. Uh, Mark, of course, you're like a veteran of stop motion, really, like your work goes back uh, quite a ways to really my, not just my earliest memories of stop motion, but like literally my earliest memories, stuff like the adventures of Mark Twain uh, and the effect that kind of had on me. And I think that's, there's something about that medium that really does kind of hook you and and stay with you. Uh, But I was sort of interested in your sort of perspectives, I guess, sort of, you know, from within seeing stop motion evolve over the years and seeing how audiences have kind of engaged with it, uh, related to it, how you kind of feel about the current sort of landscape of stop motion, if you feel like this is a, a good time for it. I think it's a great time for it. I mean, the, obviously, a lot of stuff has come out this year. And, you know, as Gamera likes to say, stop motion is pronounced dead, you know, every, you know, every five years or so. People, well, that's done. That's not coming back. And then somebody does something new or interesting with it. I mean, this year we had, you know, we had uh, Wendell and Wild, which is great, which Henry's did in, in our film. And, you know, and Leica has been part a big part of pushing that whole technology forward mm-hmm. quite a way. So, Mad God. And Mad God, yeah. Phil Tippett. Um, so it's I think it's a vibrant form right now and it, it has a, a bright future. Mm-hmm. The technology just enables us to uh, you know, sort of hone it a little bit more, you know, it makes it easier to actually do uh than it used to be. So uh I think more people have access to that technology now, which is great. You know, it, it also has that, uh, the advantage of being uh, uh, sort of, it was pushed 10 years into the future by Leica, in a way, and, and now we can come and uh, take or not take uh, the technology that we need for the storytelling. Uh, we, for example, relied mostly on mechanical puppets rather than uh, printed faces but but the fact that we have the tools uh is really really great going to the sort of um some of the themes and the concepts in this film and it kind of brings to mind i think Guillermo, the last time i saw you at an event it was a while back it was a dancey and you brought up how you had kind of had input on how to train your dragon to and pushed for certain story elements uh, in mm-hmm. particular, sort of dealing with death kind of head on in a way that I guess hadn't been like considered and made for a very impactful moment in the film. And of course, I see in this film, in Pinocchio, there's so much of that. There's a lot of talking about death and grief and pretty lofty concepts uh, in a kind of uncompromising way. And I was sort of interested in your thoughts on you know, because this is a film, I think, for all ages, it's not really like a kid's film specifically, but I'm sure lots of kids will watch it and gravitate toward it. And yeah, yeah sort of interested in your thoughts on like how kids kind of take that stuff in. And this is a medium, I guess, to deliver it. When we were uh, pitching the movie or presenting the movie, they, I would always get asked, is it for kids? And I said, it's not made just for kids, but kids can watch it. Exactly what you said. When I was at DreamWorks, uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg called me the harbinger of death because I killed, he said, the mortality rate on the characters had tripled since you joined. Uh, you know, we, we had Puss and Boots, the first one, in which we essentially kill Humpty Dumpty. The second, the second Puss and Boots, which I started 
developing uh, with the team uh, deals precisely with mortality. And uh, it was Puz losing all his lives and being left with one and making do with one, basically the uh, philosophy I believe in. And uh, of course, the, the, the killing of the father and how to train your dragon, blah, blah, blah. But it is because I think that the kids, kids benefit from uh, having, uh, if they happen to stumble upon our peace, they, they will have a, a real, they can have a deep conversation about the world. The world is very complex right now. Kids don't want simple answers to a complex world. They want complex answers to understand a complex world. So even, I mean, the other day in San Francisco, Quentin Tarantino said on stage, he said, the most violent, scary movie I've ever seen, he said, is Bambi. And he's not wrong in the sense that uh, the early, even the Disney's Pinocchio, the reason I was attracted to it is because it was uh, it was one film in my childhood that showed me somebody understood how scary and fraught with danger childhood felt. So you know, it's only in the later later decades that animation gets pasteurized and homogenized uh, into something that doesn't even have the elements of danger that fairy tales traditionally have. You know. No, yeah, absolutely. And I think also there's a, a thing that kind of happens as we get older where the things that are kind of like momentous and sort of upsetting, they do sort of change as our priorities change in life. And mm-hmm. something that kind of struck me about the emotional beats of this film and watching it in a cinema with a room full of people and being able to sort of sense when people were getting emotional and, and teary-eyed, they're things that wouldn't necessarily affect kids. You're right. When I when I was a kid and I saw The Exorcist, I, I was I thought it's not that scary. I really thought that. And then as a parent, I saw it again and I thought this is the scariest movie. Did I've your seen. parents take you to see no, The Exorcist? I, I was on my own, and, and I did think that. I thought, eh, yeah, that's really? scary. Wow. In general, I mean, Jimmy, you've been a real sort of vocal advocate of of animation stop motion being yeah. valuable in filmmaking, not being dismissed as, you know, a genre or uh, or mislabeled, I suppose, as a, a genre or like, you know, just for kids and things like that. And, you know, first of all, that's really appreciated in the animation industry when people say that. So first of all, thank you. Um, but also you. from where you are, do you feel that that message is being received? Are people kind of coming around to that a bit or is there still a way to um, go? It doesn't matter if it happens this year or in 10 years, but it will happen. I mean, Mark, uh, when you mentioned the adventures of Mark Twain, and, you know, this is a battle that has been waged for a long, long time. And, uh, and, and, and the fact is, is the, is, the, is the animation medium, stop motion, that cl- most closely resembles live action in terms of complexity, in terms of uh, you are shooting with real sets, real actors, real spro- real props, real uh, cinematography, you know? There's a lot of analog things, but uh, even more complex because you do it frame by frame and in miniature. So it is, it is really interesting to me that people, if they can change their optic, that it happens. What do you think? Yeah, I, I still think that... Uh What's important is less the technique and more that uh, real storytellers are getting a hold of this and starting to use this 
technique. And I think that's how it becomes legitimate and how it just people start recognizing it as just another form of filmmaking and not some sort of, you know, oddity. Obviously, with this film, it's it's a pretty different beast from other, you know, popularized versions of the Pinocchio story. And, like, just a kind of straightforward adaptation of the original story would have been pretty dark. But I, I found it really sort of compelling how it seems like with your film, it kind of took that as a jumping off point to introduce these really interesting ideas, like, you know, relocating the time setting, the wood sprites, that incredible death realm, uh, the political themes, the training camp, all of this stuff. Yeah, I was really interested in, were these ideas that you'd kind of had swirling around that you'd wanted to put into a film, or did the kind of Pinocchio foundation kind of, like, bring them to your mind? Well, the the, the, the disobedience theme uh, and the idea of disobedience being a virtue, which is counter to all uh, the Pinocchios I knew as a kid, you know, uh, was there from the start. And then when I when I saw the Grace Grimley drawing, three things happened really fast. I, I said to him, why? Why? I thought this Pinocchio is perfect to 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 inhabit a world completely. You know, a whole world came with it. And then I asked Grace, why does it look like that? And he said, Geppetto was drunk. And I thought and we discussed, I said, he was drunk with grief. He had lost a son. Blah, blah. So everything everything precipitated. And then I, I thought we should set it in fascist Italy, blah, blah, blah. Very, very quickly, uh, it sort of just pours out, you know, because I think the design unlocked all of that. I, I say without Grace Grimley and his design, there would not, not be this movie. Mm. Yeah, it was interesting because we talked uh, a few weeks ago to uh, Georgina Hayes and uh, Guy Davies, and they were talking about that a little bit as well, that kind of origin um, visually for it. And yeah, I was kind of interested in, in the sort of relationship you had with Grizz, if he was sort of uh, involved beyond you taking on the project, if there was a back and forth there, or if you just kind of built on what he had sort of started with. No, we, 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 we developed the themes that are in the movie and the ideas that are in the movie from the start. But uh, I was producing and co-writing. And then we got everybody, absolutely everybody uh, turned down the, the project. And then I said to Grace, look, uh, we're done. Uh, but I could restart uh, with the same ideas, the same basic concepts, but take it into a different direction. Uh, uh, with with uh, Pat McHale and and give it a go and and everybody passed on my version too you know it's not like it was a sudden success and uh, but but Grace and I have a very good relationship and you know I think that he is uh, those that know Grace is a a really a reasonable noble guy we had a a very harmonious. Um, uh, relationship when I was producing and he was very harmoniously understood that it was not going to happen on the version that existed then and we needed to 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 go and and, and you know like for example the political themes were not that present uh, the the grief was not present the loss of uh, uh, Geppetto at the end the, the idea of uh, you know 
what happens happens and then we're gone none of that was he never went to the realm of death he didn't uh talk to uh, to death blah 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 so it was about from that moment on the moment i took the reins i wanted for it to be of a piece with devil's backbone and pan's labyrinth and it started to be shaped by by that by the fact that now it's going to belong into a different uh universe you know and uh and uh it it, it sort of follows that that precept you know hmm. so along the way then through this journey at what point mark do you, did you get involved well i came in around i think around 2010 or 11 somewhere in there so pretty early on in one of the earlier iterations of this thing but and it was just you know it was just a phone call from Guillermo and he said Mark I'm doing this project and I said I'm in yeah, <laughs> and then he told me what it was yeah. but um uh, you know it it was uh it was really exciting and we really thought it was going to happen and then you know as these things do it sort of went away for a lot of very uh good and bad reasons but it, it looked like it was not going to happen yeah many many times really it was a miracle that it happened then in production then you have outfits like mckinnon and saunders and uh, shadow machine did you work with them directly as far as developing and producing the animation yeah yeah no um uh, definitely um you know mckinnon and saunders are the best puppet makers in the world so uh, and georgina you know worked with them trained with them so that was a really natural uh, relationship and you know we handle about half the puppets in in portland at shadow machine and mckin and saunders did uh the the bulk of the rest of them and then some of the puppets were done in guadalajara mm -hmm. by the team down there who did the black rabbit sequence uh, which was really pretty cool it was really fun working with you know this new group of, of really talented animators and artists uh, so, um, yeah, but m most of the film was shot in, in Portland at Shadow Machine, uh, the, you know, 95% of the film or more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, uh, that death realm with the rabbits, it's a really kind of like standout <laughs> locale, yeah. I suppose, of the film. It really, yeah. there's something really jarring and yet like perfectly consistent with the rest the, of the film the, it's great. The, the idea was to make them little bureaucrats you know, <laughs> guys that are off and they're playing cards and then somebody dies they go pick them up and bring them in nothing important we've all got a job to do <laughs> I, th I think i think that's ultimately what the movie does in my mind and maybe maybe i'm deluded is that it's a movie that actually uh, celebrates life by saying yeah, death happens, but it's not that important. It's what we do with life that is important. And, and I think part of that was making death a bureaucracy, an operation with the rights. Something I also have to, to mention, uh, the music and the songs. Such a wonderful component of it. And, um, you know, in a very kind of like traditional i suppose like not kind of super overproduced like a lot of musicals and, and animated film tend to to go that way just really kind of soulful and emotional and yeah I, I i'd love to hear a bit about um your relationship with um alexander and and I, I guess if you were kind of involved in that side of things as well or if he was just kind of briefed and and went away and did it 
No, 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 Alexander. Alexander, I met him when I was executive producing Rise of the Guardians, uh, you know, Peter Ramsey's movie. And and uh, when we started trying his music, uh, I, I I realized all of a sudden, my God, this guy is one one of the three best composers alive. Uh, when you know his music is so charged with emotion. And he is uh, a guy that likes to spend a lot of time talking with you about the concept. And then uh, I, I, you know, I went to Paris and uh, a few times, uh, sometimes uh, Pat McHale and Mark came with me and we would sit down and talk about the songs and play with the piano, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. He's a very, Alexander is sort of a, I, I would say a, an old school intellectual is a guy that is really, really uh, very deliberate about how he goes at it, but very emotional in execution, highly intelligent. And he proposed to do the whole score only with wood instruments. Uh, he said, let's do, let's do everything with wood instruments because that's the nature of Pinocchio. In Shape of Water, he, he, he spent a lot of time finding a figure that evoked a weight. So, you know, one one good morning, uh, I showed up at, at his studio and he played the Carlos theme, which became Pinocchio's theme on the piano. And it was just perfect. It, it, he wanted the simplicity of a lullaby and the emotional impact of a lullaby. Uh, so, it, it, I mean, I think he's one of the best composers. And I, I fortunately, after now, about 10 years of working with him i don't i don't find him as imposing as i did on the beginning <laughs> mark still gets a little of fluster well yeah, yeah he's a, like a french vampire <laughs> but he's the you know he also has a really funny sense of humor yeah, that yeah. once you get to know him that comes through like he's he's pretty loopy uh, and <laughs> and fun to be around but, but uh, he's also there's um and what I appreciate about his stuff is is the restraint that he shows. Yes. Like he doesn't go in and just hammer you over the head with stuff. Yeah. He's very very thoughtful and yeah. and very um, uh, delicate with the yeah. way he writes music. Yeah, well, as he says, he's French, and then I demand and that he taps into his Mexicanness. <laughs> I say you have to be more Mexican about it, and 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 I think the. The main thing for the movie, for me, it's emotion. And when Mark and I would discuss uh, the storyboards, that's what we were looking for, emotion. And when we, when we would discuss the performance, emotion. Yeah. You know, even even uh, cutting, not only editing, but mixing, color correcting, you're always looking for emotion. You're never thinking about isolated technical disciplines. You're looking for emotion every time. And Alexander is the main motor of the of the audio uh, portion of emotion. Absolutely, and it, it absolutely comes through, and uh, very very successful uh, overall. Yeah. And um, yeah, thank you so much again for talking to me. Um, this was a real film highlight of the year, so uh, makes me very happy to have this job to uh, get the opportunity. But uh, yeah, thanks again so much for talking to Squiggly today. I'm a good one, man. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Bye. 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 
So that was Ben talking to Guillermo del Toro and Mark Gustafsson. If you want to learn more about Pinocchio, which is screening on Netflix now, you can read Ben's interview on the site with the directors or check out our interview with puppet supervisor Georgina Haynes and production designer Guy Davis. That's written up by uh, Laura Beth Cowley. Uh, but as I said, you can watch Pinocchio and the uh, behind-the-scenes documentary on Netflix now, and you should because it's a Goddamn masterpiece. Fantastic. Uh, Ryan, thank you very much for joining us on this podcast. I've had fun. Uh, it's been great to have you on board. Yeah. Putting the world of animation to rights. No, it's been a blast. Where can people find you online if they uh, if they want to find you on uh, on the socials? Yeah, I'm at Ryan Gorn Twitter. That's Ryan G-A-U-R. And that's the only place I'll be, so I might just cease to exist soon. Who knows? But um, <laughs> uh, but Twitter seems to be going strong, so it'll be fine. But uh, yeah, other than that, just uh, yeah, look at the things I write on squiggly.com. <laughs> Fantastic. You write for other places. Give them a plug. Go on. Uh, yeah, Central Source is a music magazine and uh, Football Paradise is a football magazine. And I have a newsletter called postmaelstrom.substack.com. And we have a podcast called In Search of Source, which is about music journalism and anti-clickbait and making sure we celebrate great journalism. So, yeah, I think that's everything. <laughs> Magazines about football, whatever next. Uh, <laughs> uh, I've been Steve Henderson. You can find me on Twitter at Mr. Underscore S underscore Henderson. I'm also on Instagram at Dr. Underscore S underscore Henderson. Uh, Twitter is on uh Twitter? Squiggly is on Twitter as well. You'll find us at Squiggly. Uh, this is why Ben usually does it, Ryan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can find us on Instagram, Squiggly Animation, and Facebook, Squiggly Magazine. Visit the website for all the latest animation news, reviews, interviews, and anything else. That's squiggly.com. And we're a free podcast, but if you wish to spread a little extra Christmas cheer, head over to the Squiggly homepage, scroll down to the bottom, and click the supporters link. Any and all donations help us do the stuff that we do on the site. Uh, but yeah, thanks very much for joining us today. I'm off to write my letter to Santa. I'm going to ask him for a Nintendo. We'll leave out some milk and cookies. But until the next podcast, happy holidays and happy animating. Happy holidays.